Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato with my colleague, Mary Gambit. Mary, before we bring on John Palesco from NJIT, you sent me an early text. We're taping mm -hmm. at about 9, 10 in the morning. We're supposed to be 9. Mary was late. Um, no, I was late. <laughs> you sent me an intention. Real quick, let's do this before we drink, bring John on. What's up with your intentions and what does that have to do with leadership? Yeah, absolutely. Every single day when I wake up, I set an intention and I used to have three P's and I realized now I added a few more. So I have be passionate, be present, be positive, be productive and be patient. So I've got, I keep adding every morning. That was because three? That was like eight. No, no, no. I said, I keep adding. I said, I started off with three. It used to just be, be positive and productive. And now I've completely just added to it. But you need to also remind yourself as the day goes on, because we can all get into a funk and in a, in a bad rhythm. So you got to set well, your intention for the day. I really, pre I sent back a text to Mary. I said, my intention is to get up today and do the show. <laughs> Wake up. It's hey, always John, a good day go. when you're above the grass, not below it. Oh, geez, Mary, you're making me feel bad about not being as positive as you are. John Palesco is Dr. John Palesco. Those of us with a Ph.D. can appreciate that. Our kids say, Dad, you're not a real doctor. You're a Ph.D. But John knows how hard we work for that. Provost, Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs at the NJIT New Jersey, New Jersey Institute of Technology. John, good to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. Good to, good to be here this morning. We don't goof around this much all the time. Hey, John, talk to us about this whole range of articles, particularly the New York Times Sunday Magazine a few weeks ago, I know you saw it, the capital letters were not you, meaning not university life anymore. More and more folks are asking the question, is higher ed worth the investment? Do you need it? Connect higher ed to productivity in someone's life, not everyone, but also higher ed and leadership, please. Sure, that, that's a, a broad question, Steve, but I'll do my best. I, I, I think, you know, when I think about it, it's a, it's a fair question, and it's a question that everybody should ask. I, I'm a big believer in lifelong learning. I'm a big believer in ongoing education. That doesn't mean that college is the right path for everyone. So I do think it's a fair question to ask. Now, the one thing that I'll say is what I'm particularly proud of at NJIT, and one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to NJIT is the value that we clearly provide to our students. And you can see that, for example, in the recent Wall Street Journal rankings that had us up at number 19 in the nation. Right? And that's really based on outcomes. So it's based on the difference in a student's life between the time they got here and the time they left. Things like social mobility, future earnings, all of that is impacted by a valuable education. And that's what NGIT provides. One more quick follow-up before Mary jumps back in. We had a longstanding relationship. By the way, NJIT has been a long time partner of ours, a higher ed partner with our Caucus Educational Corporation. I've taught on campus on the subject of leadership, the great students there. Dr. Joel Bloom, the former president of NJIT, a trustee of ours, longtime colleague and friend, Dr. Tech Lim, the new president. Question, when a university goes from a longstanding president who has done so much, buildings being named after Joel and his wife as we speak right now, um, on campus to a new president, that leadership change, how much does it change the quote culture? Big question, question again, big, the culture of the university? A, a, a lot, right? Because different leaders have different styles. And you know, President Lim, Tech has come in, he has a very collaborative team-based approach to leadership. And that's something he's really trying to build here. For me, that works really well. I think we work well together in that regard. But it is a culture shift. It's it's definitely a change for an institution when you when you go through a transition like that. 
but it's always good. You bring you bring in people from the outside, you bring in fresh eyes, you bring in a fresh perspective. And I think in some ways that helps reinvigorate an institution like NGIT. New ideas. Go, Mary. Yeah, John, I would love to talk a little bit about innovation. It's such a buzzword, especially after the pandemic. It was resilience for a long time, and now we've pivoted to the word innovation. What does innovation mean to you? I also know that you're a professor of mathematics, and uh, definitely the sci sciences are huge in NJIT. But what really does innovation mean when it comes to leadership in your perspective? Yeah, for, from my point of view, I think when, you, when I think about uh, leadership and innovation and the relationship between the two of them, to me, the most important thing that a leader can do is create the space for others to innovate. I mean, hmm. of course, what, what a leader needs to do is they need to always be challenging the status quo, willing to think different, driving people in different directions. But the leader's never going to have all of the good ideas. The good ideas are going to come from the broader community. And if you don't make it a safe space to be able to try new things, to fail at new things, right, and making sure that that's okay, then you're not going to build a culture of innovation. So to me, the, the, the relationship is really about a leader building that culture of innovation. Hey, Mary, check this out. So, John, you have a background in mathematics, right? Correct. I was horrible in math. Me it's too. not about me, but I just want to share that. <laughs> Never I heard failed. that before, Steve. Do, do you know it took me years to get my doctorate because I kept failing a course on quantitative analysis? Why is that relevant? Because I kept thinking when we were having you on the show, I said, wait a minute, John has a background in mathematical math science, if you will. It's a science. Two and two, last time I checked, always equals four. In leadership, that ain't the case. So how do you go from such an exacting scientific background to leadership where there's an awful lot of gray area and two and two rarely equal four, please? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recharacterize what you said about mathematics, and I think that will answer your question. So in one way, yes, you can think about things like arithmetic where two and two always equals four. But really, mathematics is the science of patterns. That's really what, what mathematics is all about, is understanding patterns. Patterns? Patterns. That's right. Mathematics is about the science of patterns. Any sort of pattern you can imagine, the structure of space, the structure of numbers, anything that you can imagine. That's really what mathematicians study is patterns, right? And when you think about leadership and you think about an institution, it's a complex system. And that's precisely what mathematicians study, precisely what mathematicians think about is complex systems. And you're absolutely right. There's always gray areas and always uncertainties. And that is something that I think we all have to adapt to. I do like when you're able to get the correct answer. And a lot of times as a leader, you never have exactly that correct answer. But I think the two things translate really well. I think mathematics actually prepares you to think about just about everything in, in really powerful ways. Good stuff. Last question, Mary. Go. Yeah, uh, John, Steve and I both have uh, young adults that are in college at the moment, as do many of our viewers. We always hear from them, hey, all the challenges, the finances, et cetera. But I find the biggest challenge is the life lessons that we're trying to give our kids when they're in college to prepare them for the real world. What one piece of advice, leadership, communication or otherwise, do you have for these young adults in terms of being successful because it is so comp competitive. My son's computer science major, and it's so competitive out there. One piece of leadership or communication advice for these young adults. Yeah, for, for me, the, the number one piece of leadership advice for young adults would be the same as I would give for anybody else, and that's to, to become a good listener. To me, that is the number one skill that any leader needs to have. And, and I would encourage them to, to really to practice two things. One is, is being able to understand before critiquing, because that's where most people fall down, right? You want to respond, you're ready to jump in there. And the, the second part is going into things, being willing to change your mind. 
because as a leader, you're constantly faced with that. You don't have all the answers. You don't know the full situation. So you have to approach it that way. And both of those things are hard to do. And it's habits that you have to cultivate. So that's what I would encourage your your your, your children, my children, any anybody to, to do. Good stuff. Hey, uh, John, I would also be remiss if I did not share that the NJIT family, uh, the team is a family. And to Techlim, the current president, the previous president, Dr. Joel Bloom, Matt Golden, who handles all communications, has been a great partner and friend. And finally, our trustee and board member, um, Marjorie Perry, who is a longstanding part of the NJIT community, a big part of our production world. Um, I just want to say thank you to the team, the family at NJIT for being part of our family. John Plesko, who is the provost, vice president of academic affairs at NJIT. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me, Steve. Lessons in Leadership, the number one leadership show in the world. I just made that up. Be back after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregramatis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. Lessons in Leadership is proud to welcome Carmen Villar, Vice President, Social Business Innovation, Merck and Company Inc., and also the co-chair of the very prestigious board at NJPAC, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Good to see you, Carmen. Hi there, Steve. We are taping this show in late September, 2023. The gala is coming up for NJ Pack. Yeah. I have a, uh, a quiz for you. Okay. Could be oh. a question. Mm -hmm. First annual NJ Pack gala. Take a guess as to who performed, rocked the house, brought in a ton of money. She was the best. She used to perform with two other singers in the 1960s and then was alone and she didn't need anybody else. Go. Oh boy, I think you're gonna stump me here. Um, no, you well, got that's it. good. I'm stumped too, Carmen. So we. <laughs> it was Diana Ross. I was gonna say, okay. I, well, I was actually leaning towards Dionne Warwick because she has done many performances the at the NJ Pack. Um, but then you said three people, and that threw me. So. Yeah, we won't get into the history of the Supremes and what happened there. That's another uh, lesson no. to leadership. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Carmen, I will stop fooling around and get serious. Uh, you were recommended to us by our good friend and colleague, our trustee, Micheline Davis, who knows more about leadership than, than most. From your perspective, the most significant leadership lesson you've learned in corporate life is... Well, I have to pick just one. I think uh, I would say Number multiple. <laughs> the, the first would be really leverage your relationships, I would say. You know, I was talking to my son just the other day who's 16. He asked me about how I got my first job. And I told him when I went in for the second interview, it was somebody who had gone to my school and had been in my sorority. 
And uh, that was really helpful. And that's probably one of the reasons I got the job. Now, I didn't take that job, but I told him <laughs> the story. And it was, you know, it, it, it was, uh, I think, a good lesson for him in networking. The other thing I would say is, is be true to yourself, right? When you come to work, people want you to do or say all different things. There's some things you have to do because you're part of a company. Uh, but when you move those things forward, still be true to yourself, do it in your way, a way that feels comfortable to you, even if it means delivering uh, bad news. And then the last thing I would say is say yes to opportunities to grow. Sometimes it seems scary, or you don't want to take a risk. Uh, but if you jump in with both feet, you're going to do great. Carmen, one of the one of the uh, lessons that I often teach in our leadership seminars to people who tell me they're uncomfortable speaking in public. I'm uncomfortable with that role. Um, there's a great quote. Get start to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. And I know it sounds weird and counterintuitive, but being uncomfortable is the place where growth happens. Quick follow up on this, since I mentioned mm -hmm. Micheline uh, Davis mm -hmm. and you mentioned relationships. One of the things we also teach in our leadership seminars and coaching is being a strategic relationship builder. And sometimes people go, wait a minute, you're saying that this should be um, less than uh, organic relationship building? And my response is, sometimes, yes, you need to strategically, methodically, consistently build relationships l with people like Micheline, because yeah. things happen. Please pick yeah. up on that. Sure. You have to be very intentional, I would say. I have a lot of people that come to me and somebody's clearly told them along the way that they should network. And so they get on the phone with me or they come to see me and they don't have anything to say. And I said, <laughs> this is not networking. I know you're checking off the list, but you know, it has to at least seem organic in some way. So people that you meet, people that are willing to introduce you to other people, um, I think that's really great. It's really hard to do. So I would say practice with people that you already know, that you're already comfortable with. Um, ask them questions that you think are strategic and helpful and get feedback. Sure. There's a wonderful book that we'll promote in our Lessons in Leadership Library, and it's written um, by a good friend, Dr. Marilee Adams, down in Philadelphia. It's called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And the whole premise of the book is think about the questions you need to ask someone in a conversation. They're open-ended, they're probing, they're curious, they're genuine, and then listen mm -hmm. your butt off and follow up. We'll yeah. put that in our leadership library so that people know. Uh, knowing how to engage in a conversation, important skill set. Pick it up, Mary. Yeah, no, that's so important, Steve, for sure. And Carmen, I want to talk a little bit about social business innovation and what that means. You oversee the Merck Foundation. We always, Steve and I always say it all the time, no money, no mission, right? So I just wanted to get your perspective on why is it so important that social business innovation and giving back to the community, talk about that a little bit, especially tied to leadership. Sure, sure. We have two big priorities at the Merck Foundation. One is community and one is health. We're a healthcare company. That's what we do. I think that you have to really understand what's happening on the ground in the communities where you work and live if you want to be the most helpful. That means listening. That means uh, being strategic about who you partner with and understanding what the needs are on the ground. That's so, so important. And that's the way I lead social business innovation. It's interesting. When I, I first joined the team, I said, we need to lead with a little bit more humility. Somebody raised their hand and said, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. <laughs> and I said, well, that's exactly right. We need to understand more what people are saying, not just what we hear. 
but the words that they are using, the emotions that they're showing and, and what that really means and how we can best support through a grant um, or a partnership, uh, the needs on the ground and, and in our priority areas. I'd also say that we have an impact investing portfolio and I've uh, continued to fight for more and uh, money in that area because we're able to invest in maybe small startups or minority-owned businesses or places that just need a little lift and they're going to provide both a social impact and a business. Our returns have been, you know, 1.4. I mean, it, it's been great, just as good as some regular non-social impact investing. Quick follow-up on that. Um, Carmen, you mentioned social impact. I'm obsessed with the word impact and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Mary, I, I think it was how many, three or four years ago, Mary said, we need to be more focused on impact than activity. And I said, what is she talking about? And I started to realize that a whole range of meetings, a whole bunch of meetings that we have are a lot of activity, a lot of emails, a lot of activity, uh, a lot of social media activity. There's a big difference between activity, doing a lot of things, being busy versus, quote, impact. Am I making too much of that? No, I think you're right on target, Steve. What I would say is we often talk about how many people we reached with our programs, meaning did they actually take a brochure? Did they actually talk to somebody, et cetera? My big question, I have a public health background to my team. My big question to my team is, yeah, but so what? What happened? Did we help um, that person have a better, healthier life? And how do we know? So really looking at measurement, which is hard in the area of, of the work that we do, um, but there are ways to do it and we're getting better and better all the time. Um, I think we need to move away from, you know, asking for this very prescriptive hoity-toity kind of data from our grantees and really think about what makes a difference in, in what we're trying to do. So we talked about health equity. Okay, right. if we're giving a grant, how do we actually improve somebody's access to health? And how do we measure that? You know, Carmen, so Mary, how many times we've been in foundation? Mary and I lead the, lead, she's laughing because she I, knows. I'm laughing because I, for 23 years, Carmen, I've been writing these reports to our very generous nonprofit underwriters and, <laughs> and organizations that underwrite us. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm just laughing because it's like, well, you know, how, what are the metrics? And I'm like, it's not about the metrics. <laughs> so, so I, Mary and I were in a, a wonderful foundation that funds us. Thank you very much. And they fund a lot of our health programming and they keep asking about our metrics. And I say, you mean our ratings on public broadcasting? How many people? Okay, so we can tell you what you're asking for, but impact is different. And we can talk about it and they'll say, but how many? How are you counting them? And I'm thinking it, it's relevant, but impact is not purely metrics. Again, am I going too deep here, Carmen? No, I would ask them what they're doing with the data. We have tons and tons <laughs> of data. And what are we really doing with it? You know, the bottom line is, is the person on the ground that we're trying to serve having a better life, a healthier life in our case, um, maybe a more well-informed life in your case? I don't know. But is that really happening? And if right. so, how? How does it mean they actually went to the doctor instead of right. showing up at the emergency uh, doors for their routine primary care? I don't know. That might make a difference. Absolutely. When someone says uh, social determinants of health, well, there are a whole range of them. And Micheline Davis was the one who taught us about that many years ago. Well, you mean if we 
actually take this one person who has a transportation issue, which is a social determinant of health, and get that person to a primary care physician, and then they diagnose something early and are able to deal with it, well, that's only one person. Really? You're going to count that as one? Just one? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm on my soapbox, Carmen. That's I got to get okay. off it. That's um, okay. Hey, Carmen, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank our good friend, Micheline, for uh, bringing you to us. And that's part of what we do is through our relationships and connections, we meet new people. So we wish you and the family at, at Merck all the best. And you're welcome on Lessons in Leadership anytime. Thanks, Carmen. Great. Thanks so much. You got it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Introducing the Helix NJ, the health and life science exchange, a new innovation district located at the heart of the Northeast Corridor, providing industries, universities, and entrepreneurs the critical ecosystem needed to turn great ideas into breakthrough realities. The Helix NJ, where ideas come to life. Hey, Mary, that was uh, a very compelling, interesting segment with Carmen. Your biggest takeaway? Yeah, well, it's uh, listening to both her and then John before Carmen, they both really talked about listening and listening to be under to understand number one, and before you actually start to formulate what you're going to respond and just the importance of really soaking in and getting that information. Yeah, How about you? yeah. okay, hold on, I was talking while you're interrupting me. <laughs> so in lessons in leadership, the first lessons in leadership, not to be confused with, we don't even have the hard copy yet. But this is the new Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff. Go on our website to purchase a copy. It's a good deal. Uh, I want to thank our good friend, Neil Shapiro, the president and CEO of the WNET Group, for giving us the testimonial. That appears on the cover of Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff. But in the first Lessons in Leadership, there's a chapter on listening. You know what it's called? Uh, the, the chapter on listening. What did we call that chapter? I don't know. What did we call that chapter, Steve? Can you, you hear me? Listening. No, <laughs> no, you weren't listening. It's called listen, dot, really, dot, dot. Really listen. Really listen. Now, mm -hmm. someone says, well, why don't you just say, call it listening? And here's my thinking on it. Really listening, and trust me, I'm not the best at this, has to be intentional. A lot of people that I wind up coaching in, in our company, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And people will tell me I have a hard time listening. And when I ask them what it's about, it's usually about this. It's usually about their phone, right? It's usually about distractions. And I'll say, listen, here's the first deal. The first issue when it comes to listening. You have to make a decision to listen. Well, what do you mean a decision? Either you listen or you don't listen. No. You literally have to put on blinders like those horses in the Kentucky Derby. They don't want them looking at the other horses. You put on blinders. And you literally say, if you're talking to your kids, your spouse, somebody, 
in your uh, professional orbit, if you don't believe there's a decision, if you don't make that decision, that it's worth listening, you ain't going to listen. You could have all the techniques. One time someone said to me, can you coach me to make it look like I'm listening? So I said, what? He goes, you know, <laughs> lean on a couple of head. And I said, no, yeah. you're not listening. I know, but the other person doesn't know that. I said, no, listening isn't fake listening. It's genuinely deciding no more distractions. You're going to take your phone. You're going to put it down. If your family needs you, if there's a crisis, the phone will vibrate. But if you don't decide to be present, truly present and listen, it ain't going to happen. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And it's not just the physical distractions of things around you in your environment. It's your mental distractions, right? It's your to-do list. It's your, what am I going to say? Oftentimes, you'll start to formulate your response because you think you know, especially you and I have worked together for 23 years, and you think you know, I thought I know, I thought I knew what you were going to say earlier today. And you're like, no, let me finish. Now, I did know what you were going to say, so I'll just have to say I was, I was right. That's a whole other story. But on the flip side, it is important to be present, not have, you know, we talked about it's the danger of the busy mind. Uh, that was Richard Carlson, I believe. And Don't it's sweat so, the small stuff. Yeah. I interrupted you. It's, it's from the book. Don't sweat the small stuff. And his chapter was called The Danger of the Busy Mind. Go ahead. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's about being present in this moment. Whatever happened yesterday, whatever's going to happen five minutes from now, an hour from now, you need to be aware. So this way you're not running late to every meeting because then you're so present. And I wanted to give full time. and But you do need to continually, truly listen and tuck those nuggets away. And so on that note, I want to be clear. Being present, truly present. So when you do this show, here, here's what happens. The, can you pan down? can you do this? Oh, you're not listening? Sorry. Um, Scarlett's behind the camera. There is so much stuff on this desk right now because there are a mm -hmm. bunch of props. I've got, trust me, we'll be talking about the Jets on another show, uh, the Giants. It's early in the season. The season's over already. Yes. Um, the Yankees, season's over. Don't worry about it. Every team I like. <laughs> They're season. officially, the Yankees are officially over as of today, as of September 27th. Jeter, please. Um, he's Anything. 50. It doesn't matter. So here's the thing. Listening is about being present. And when you have all these distractions, you have to literally say to yourself, I know there's a lot going on around me. But what do I need to do here? You ever see people at the family dinner table, Mary, mm -hmm. with our kids? Our daughter's 13. And, she, you know, like so many other teens, TikTok or whatever else she's doing, she will half listen to what's being said and then misinterpret it and act accordingly and then say, I thought you said, and she wasn't really listening. And it's mm -hmm. not about our daughter. It's about a lot of teens who have more distractions than ever before with social media. Last point about social media and listening, and then I'll get off this and we'll end the show. Oh, I thought you were going to give a last oh, point. On, Mary. <laughs> All right, listening. Elvin and team, didn't oh, it sound on. like Steve was prepping? I felt that was a huge tee up. I thought you were going to give your last social media. I was waiting for a gem, but I'll give you my gem. Social media, in my opinion, is amazing. It's a great tool. Again, a tool. All of these things in our lives are tools. And we'll talk about artificial intelligence on another segment. All of these are tools to help us to be more informed, more aware, but they need to be done in moderation. Every week I get that announcement. You spent more time on your phone last week than this week. So make sure you take that time to put your phone down, be present, and don't just sit there and scroll, 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 because you could definitely go down the rabbit hole. So that's my PSA in terms of social media and listening for the day. 
Before we end the show, I wanted to ask you a question right then. Were you totally not listening and bored by what I was saying to the point where you just had nothing to say? No. When you watch this back, and I, I guarantee you, future Steve, rewind, it sounded like you were teeing up a final like exclamation point, and then I was going to jump in. So I did misread your cues. I was truly listening and giving you the platform and the space to pause prior to hitting that home run. Sorry, I was Bravo just talking me. to April. Or, or, <laughs> I wasn't listening. I was talking to April. All right. Say goodbye. <laughs> All right. I'm listening to <laughs> the Elvin Badger. See everyone next week. Start listening. I'm joking. <laughs> I swear I'll be back for the next show. All right. Just get off me. I'm choking. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. The North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. Introducing the Helix NJ, the health and life science exchange, a new innovation district located at the heart of the Northeast Corridor, providing industries, universities, and entrepreneurs the critical ecosystem needed to turn great ideas into breakthrough realities. The Helix NJ, where ideas come to life.